Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thanks for this freedom that we have to gather freely and to worship you. It's God, I pray you to wake us up to that reality constantly, and that we would take advantage of that opportunity. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray you just help us as we look at your word, that you just remove all the distractions. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What is the Christian to look like in the marketplace? Or what should be the marks of our work? What are we supposed to look like as Christians who are, as Peter has said to us, we're resident aliens, we're sojourners and exiles. We're citizens of heaven first, but we are real as residents here. We really live here. What are we supposed to look like in these areas of our life? Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Which says to us, we naturally don't think right, even as Christians. We don't naturally think right. That's why Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed. Our minds have to change. In every area of our life as Christians, we have to think as Christians, what does it look like to live as a Christian in this role or this area of my life? And that's what Paul, Peter has been addressing in 1 Peter. He spent a lot of time in the first book, uh, first part of 1 Peter trying to say this is the identity of a Christian. This is what a Christian looks like. There's this great salvation that we have been given. And then he says that we are like living stones rejected by men, but in the sight of God we're chosen and we're precious. And he says in verse 9, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He spent a lot of time saying this is, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your identity. You're in Christ. And you've been gathered to a community of people who are in Christ. And you have a new purpose. And so we've got to think, he says in verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. You have to think differently and think how are you supposed to look at all these different roles that we have in life. And he gets really practical for the next sections. And he's saying this is how to live out the roles that we've been given in life for the glory of God. And he spent the first time saying be subject 
for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So he starts out with the big civil authority. How is a Christian supposed to live and think in a civil society? And he says, be subject to all those leaders. And then he moves it down to servants, which is in our vocational ways. And then he moves it even closer to family with husbands and wives. How are we to live as resident aliens who are citizens of heaven, but are called to really live here and really further God's kingdom? How do we live out those roles in practical ways? And this morning we're going to look at the vocational way. And he really says this. He sums it up. And all the stuff we can think about with work, Peter basically says, servants... Be submissive to your masters with all respect, for you have been called for this purpose. Or to bring it up to today, employees, be submissive to your masters or your supervisors or your bosses with all respect, for you've been called for this purpose. It's a really short sentence, but it's really hard to do. And the truth of that statement that employees are to be submissive to their bosses or their supervisors with all respect for this is what you've been called to do, that really should, that truth should challenge us, it should convict us, and it really should bring up a lot of questions for us for how are we as Christians to think about the marketplace and how are we as Christians to think about work. When Peter wrote this, he wrote, servants be subject to your masters. And when he used the word servants, if you... Been in church for a long time. You've probably heard of the, uh, uh, there's a type of servant slave word. That's not the one that he uses here. He uses what would be considered the household slaves or servants. In the Roman Empire, uh, almost two-thirds of the people that lived in that empire were slaves. If you conquered a country, you became a slave. And some of these slaves, they could buy their freedom and they could get out of slavery. But a lot of them, they lived in that slavery. And many of them lived... Just good lives. They weren't, uh, it was not the slavery that you think about when you think about the Civil War. It's not the kind of slavery that Peter was talking about. This was just the cultural dynamic and the economics of the way the world was back then. These were people who didn't have a lot of rights, though. They were still treated as property. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that the early church, a lot of Christians were slaves. In 1 Corinthians, not many wise were called, it says. And Peter is talking to a group of people who many of them were servants or slaves or household slaves, but they weren't, they, they were educated. Some they were doctors, they were teachers, they were the professional workers in Rome. See, there are highly educated professionals who were in slavery in a sense. It was, that was the economics of their day. And there really isn't a complete tie-in from 2,000 years ago to today, but the closest one that we do have is our vocation and how we work together as in our jobs as doctors, as teachers, as professionals, as workers. And many of us can relate to this. Roy Orbison, who I don't really know much, died a long time ago, wrote a song in the 40s and 50s, Working for the Man. A lot of people feel that way, don't you? They feel like they're just, even if you have your own business, you're working for the man. And that's how these people we're dealing with their situation. And he's writing to them, and he's saying to them, this is how you're supposed to work. And I just want to take a step back first and say this about work. The Bible says, because of this, your work 
matters. The fact that Peter even addressed slaves at all is amazing. There is, in, in the, all the writings of the Old Testament, of all the ancient writings that are, that would be at the same time as Scripture, nobody would have addressed servants and slaves directly. They were considered like chattel. They were considered nothing. They, they were just property. But the fact that the Bible addressed servants, these workers, these professionals who were working jobs for other people is amazing, which says to us that our work matters. Our work matters to God. As servants be subjects to your masters. Most of you spend hours, and many of you will spend 50 years, probably, in some way, at work, working for somebody or doing some kind of work for employment. We spend a huge portion of our lives at work. How are we as Christians to navigate what does God want us to do in that situation? The Bible says that your work matters. Abraham Kuyper said this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Which means when you get up tomorrow and go to work, you walk into your wherever you work at, Jesus Christ has claimed it as his. It's his. There's no place over all the earth that isn't Christ's, which means how we spend a majority of our time at work, we need to make sure we're living it in Christian ways. And not just work, employment. All work is matters to God. If you are staying at home, working at home as a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, that's all work. All this work that we do matters to God. Work is part of the character of God. It's being made in the image of God. We love when work is done well. The Bible says in Psalm 92.4, David wrote this about God. He says, For you have made me glad by your work and the works of your hands. I sing for joy. Because God works, David sang for joy. It's by the work of God that he was gave glory to God. We, we love to see the handiwork of God. It's part of who God is. It's part of his character. It's his image to work. And we have all been made in the image of God. And before sin ever entered into the world, work was given. Before the fall in Genesis, God gave man a job to do. But because of the fall, our relationship with work has changed. And there's a lot of people who do feel like they're just doing nothing with their life. Or they're just working, or they're just in the grind. How are Christians supposed to deal with that? Especially if you're in a situation where it's a very tough situation. It's a tough job. What do you do in that situation? How is a Christian supposed to renew his mind and think properly and deal with the workplace and the marketplace? And the, the, because of how work has been interrupted by sin, how because of that it's all kinds of chaos has come up and people feel this frustration with work, which was never God's intention, but we all feel this frustration of work. All of us at some time, no matter what kind of work you're doing, the most common feeling that everyone has at some point in their work is, does what I do matter? Does, does my work really matter? You're on a Thursday afternoon and it's one o'clock and you're working in a factory thinking, what's the point of this? Does this really matter in all the schemes of things? Does it really matter 
what I'm doing, that's, that's common for all people. Does the work that I'm doing really matter? And God says, yes, your work matters. And he, he made such a big deal about it. That he said he, he, he specifically, all through Scripture, talked about it. But in Peter addressed it with servants. How you live out your role of work absolutely matters. And because of the way the fall has become with work, we also ask, does what I do determine who I am? There was a time that people worked to, so that they could come home and have a life. But now people try to have a life by their work. That's the culture that we live in. It's just drive, drive, drive. Because by doing your work, that's where we get our identity in our culture. Everybody asks, what you do? What do you do? And if you have a job, then you feel like you're somebody. And if you can make a lot of money in that job, you feel like you're really somebody. And if you don't have a job, you feel like you're nobody in our culture. That's wrong. If you make a lot of money at your job, all that means is you've made a lot of money at your job. It doesn't affect your identity, especially as a Christian. Our work, as, our work is not to define us in our identity as Christians. Our culture wants to conform us that way because they say that's the best way to express yourself. Find something that you really want to show yourself and then just drive that. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Just do what expresses you, and that's where you're going to get your identity. That's not the way God has designed us to get our identity, which is why Peter spent so much time saying, your identity is in Christ. If you're employed or if you're unemployed as a Christian, your identity is to be found in Jesus Christ. You're a new creature. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You don't get your identity at work, or you shouldn't. You get your identity by being in Jesus Christ. And Americans struggle with that greatly. Because some of you, if you were to lose your job, you'd be lost completely, trying to figure out, who am I? When all the time, if you're a Christian, you are in Christ. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Your identity is to be found in Christ. Because Colossians says everything is being held together by Jesus Christ. Nothing is taking place. Nothing happens without Jesus Christ. All of it is taking place. And so all work matters. It, it, it all Together matter. Psalm 16 says this, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And Peter was writing to a group of people who were ostracized. I mean, they, they had nothing. They were servants. They were slaves. They were looked down upon. They were treated as nothing. And then he says, listen, you are, you are somebody because of Jesus Christ. You have a new identity. And now this is how to live out your identity as servants. And he doesn't say rebel. He doesn't say revolt, fight for your freedom. That's the complete opposite of what he says. He says all through this passage is submit, submit, submit. Servants be subject. And the reason we know that is good is because Psalm 16, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And some of you, maybe don't still know what God's plan for your life is or what direction you should be doing. And you've been working at a job for 25 years and you still don't know, what's God want me to do? What should I do with my life? God holds all our lots. 
which means he's designed all of us and he's given us a lot to live and a role to play in our world and as resident aliens. And the big question is, well, how do I know what to do? How do I know what to do? What am I supposed to do with my life? Some of you are retired and you look back at your life and you think, did I do what I was supposed to do? Was this, was I, have I done God's will for my life? I, I think I can help you. I heard this this week from Tim Keller. And I think, you think it's excellent. How do you know what you are supposed to do? And he says three things to help us know what we're supposed to do is ability, affinity, and opportunity. Some of you have had jobs and you, you graduated from high school. You didn't know what you were going to do and something just fell into your lap. You said, well, sure, I need work. So you started doing it. Uh, 25 years later, you retired from it. And you're like, whoa, that's my life. And how do we know what we're supposed to do? And I think it's right. Ability, affinity, and opportunity. Ability is that you're good at it and that other people think that you're good at it. Affinity is that you enjoy it. You have this joy for it. You, you enjoy doing what you do. And the third one is opportunity. You have the ability to do it. And all three of those things could happen at different times. Some of you have experienced this. You know, what are you going to do with your life? I don't know. Uh, but I just fell into this and I found out that I really love doing this. And so now I've been doing this for the rest of my life. And those are all ways that you can find out God's will. They can happen at all different times. Sometimes opportunity happens first. You don't even think you're going to like the job. But then as you do the job, you have this joy in it, you enjoy it, and you find out that you're good at, good at it. Or ability, you have this a job, you have the ability to do it. All of those are ways that we find God's will for our lives. Our ability, our affinity, our, our opportunity. And they can all happen at different times. And all of those are designed by God for us to know our lot. I had very many unique job opportunities in my life. I've worked at a car wash. I worked washing cars. I worked in the retirement homes. I worked with construction guys all through my early part of my high school and 20s. And every place that I worked at, I had an opportunity to either lead someone to the Lord in a very short period of time or Within a year or two, having somebody over at my house, leading them in discipleship. And for a long time, I've met with people who have been working in same, some jobs forever as Christians, and they never had that opportunity. That's never happened to them. And I used to think, how is that possible? How can you be a Christian in a workplace for any period of time, and people not know you're a Christian, first of all, and you haven't had led somebody to the Lord, and you're not discipling them? How is that not possible? But the more I think about that, the more I realize that the jobs that I were given and the people that God placed in my, to my life in those jobs were moving me to the job I'm doing now as a pastor. I had ability, affinity, and opportunity, and all of them moved me to this place because that was God's lot for me. So if you've been in your job and you're not sure what you're supposed to do, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? Press into God. Prepare your minds and think and fill your minds with God's word, but then take the abilities, take the things you enjoy, and take the opportunities and say, this could be God's lot for me. Because this work matters. And all work matters. There is no separation between secular work and spiritual work. All of life is spiritual. So what I'm doing today and what happens here at the church is just as important what you do every day at work, Monday through Saturday, 
Bob Renner, in a book called Roaring Lambs, he said this, There should be no less support or attention for an earnest Christian young person who has been accepted to the Juilliard School of Music than for one going off to seminary. The church needs writers, performers, artists, speakers, politicians, businessmen, and workers in every craft and trade. In God's eyes, there is no hierarchy. There certainly should not be in ours. What you need to see when you go to work this week is that you are doing the work of God in that workplace, and that's the lot that he has passed to you. And that's very valuable. It's very important what you do every single day at work. No matter how menial you think it may be, there is no such thing as menial work in God's eyes. He's writing to servants who had no ability to do anything but just work. They were treated as cattle. And he said, listen, be subject to your masters. Your work is very, very important because everything in this earth is mine. I've claimed it all. So our attitudes towards work need to sometimes maybe change. And we need to see that our work matters. There is no separation between secular and spiritual. As a Christian, it's all spiritual. It all matters to God, and you will give account for it. Which means us that our mindset for work matters as, as, as well. If our work matters to God, then our mindset about work matters to God. It says, be subject to your masters with all respect. God knew these people. He knew exactly where they were going to be in this time in history. Psalm says he holds our lot together, which means God's providentially ordering your life. Your work and your workplace and your work associates They're not there by accident. It's not just because you all have a similar interest, so you all teach together. Or you all have a similar trade skill, so you all work in construction together. Or you're all in the business world together because you just enjoy that and you have great abilities at that. It's not how it works. As Christians, God has providentially ordered all of it. And he's placed us in our time and in your workplace for a very specific purpose. And he wants you to, as a Christian, to spread the kingdom of God in that purpose for a very particular time. It's all providentially ordered by God. You've got to think that way when you go to work. Not just anybody could do your job. God called you to do your job at this time, at this place, with these particular people. Because in a hundred years, all new people. All new people. There'll be all kinds of new people doing your job at that time and that place for that particular reason. But right now, he's called you to do that. Providentially planned you to be with those coworkers that you are with right now, the ones that drive you crazy and the boss that is difficult. But this is his kingdom that he specifically called you to, and God is providentially ordering your life for that. So how do you deal then when it's not so smooth? Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows with suffers unjustly. And he, and he just basically says, listen, anybody, anybody can suffer and make it through 
if they put their mind to it. He's not talking about just being a stoic. And sometimes the servants back then or the slaves were like, they had a tough master who was mean to them, and they would just try to take it and just show how strong that they were. That's not what Peter's saying at all. Don't Just don't be stoic when your boss is a difficult individual or a hard individual to deal with. We're supposed to be mindful of God in this. God expects you to serve at your workplace with an exemplary attitude, is what he says. If the boss is gentle and kind, or if the boss is mean and cruel, the call for the Christian at the workplace is to serve with an exemplary attitude, with respect, which is the word we get phobia from, or fear. But who are we supposed to fear? The, The boss? In verse 17, it says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. When you go to work, and your boss is difficult, your coworkers are difficult, your supervisor is difficult, it seems menial, it seems pointless of what you're doing. The reason and the mindful thought we're supposed to have is, I'm not doing it for this boss. I'm not doing it for these coworkers. I'm working here and I'm serving because I have a fear and honor and a reverence for God. And God made work. And God gave me this work, put me here for this place. And it's my job to work and glorify God because I fear God. I'm going to work and be respectful and have a right attitude with this boss. And then he says, we are to endure it. It's a gracious thing in the sight of God. And when you're reviled, be like Jesus. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. Jesus is our example for this. And what he's saying is, as Christians, there's three ways when you're dealing with criticism at work, when you're getting attacked unjustly or justly. Some of you get attacked at work justly. If you you do your job poorly, you're not being persecuted as a Christian. But if you're doing your job well, and you're not getting the promotions because you're a Christian, the Bible says we're supposed to expect that. That can happen. And we keep going on. The difference between our culture and this culture is that those people were stuck in their jobs. They couldn't get out of their jobs. They were slaves. They were servants. Even as skilled and as intelligent as they were, they were still stuck. We aren't. You can change your job if you don't like it. You can move to a different place. Which means it's even more important for us as Christians who have the freedom, we can leave our jobs to not have bad attitudes at work and not be the ones dragging people down and not being disrespectful. Because we can leave. They couldn't. And Peter says, listen, be in subjection to those bosses. When when, when criticism happens to you at work, as a Christian, and for being a Christian... There are three E's. Should expect it. Then examine it and try to see, is there really something, is there something the way I'm working that is drawing people away from Christ? Is there some reason why I'm getting criticized this way? And then we're called to endure it. Expect it, examine it, and then endure it. Which really means keep your mouth shut. Is what Peter's saying. If your boss is cruel, keep your mouth shut. If your boss is kind, keep your mouth shut. 
honor God. You're not working for them. You are to live as free. You are free. You're not working for this boss. You're working for God. And it's his kingdom that you're building and moving forward. And we need to have productivity and a passion for Jesus Christ at our workplace. Your productivity and your passion for Christ should be so intertwined that people can't possibly explain the one without the other. People should know you're a Christian at work, and they should know you're a Christian at work not because you talk about Jesus all the time. They should know you're a Christian at work because you talk about Jesus all the time, and you're the best worker that company has. And they can't see any difference. They can say about you, that person loves Jesus. There's something different about him. He's a Christian, which is why he works so well. His productivity is so great that it's so intertwined, they can't tell the difference. That's the call that Peter's given to us. As that it's your productivity as people of God who love work because you love God, who is a God of work, that you work so well that people say, wow, why do they do that when everybody else is taking breaks? Why do they work so hard when they don't have to? Why do they work so hard when they know they're getting cheated? Why do they work so hard when they know that they didn't get the promotion that they should have gotten? Why are they so working so hard? And the only thing people can say about them is, I don't know, but they are Christians. They, 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 they like Jesus. They follow Jesus. Maybe that's got something to do with it. That's how Christians should be viewed at work. Which is really tough, isn't it? It's really tough to do that in our broken world. So how is it possible for us to do it? God says it's a gracious thing when people do that. They get credit, he says, for that. And the way that we're possible to do it is to remember what Jesus did for us. So that you might follow in his steps. Jesus is our example for us. Jesus worked for us and rescued us from sin so that we can be the workers that God called us to. So we have to constantly remember the only way you're going to be able to do all that stuff, which is unbelievable. Everything I just said is absolutely crushing. It's crushing to me to be that kind of worker. How could I possibly be that kind of worker? And the only hope we have is to see Jesus as our example, see the work that he did for us, that he's rescued from us, and he does this work in us, and that we work for a greater master. We work for a greater master. God reigns on this earth. God is the king. He is ultimately our boss and our sovereign over everything, and he's... Son rescued us and did all the hard work for us. And he just says, call me, follow me. We can do this because we have a, when we work for a greater master, which means your worship has to change. You can know all this stuff in your head. And many of you already know this stuff. You already knew how you should be working. And you can know all the right things in your head, but the only way this is really going to change in your life is if your worship starts to change, which means you bring those things that you know into your head, into your heart, and it just becomes who you are. And the only way you can do that is by praying it in, singing it in, talking to yourself, preaching the gospel to yourself, getting together with other Christians and gathering together and encouraging each other with it, where you so massage it into your mind and heart that it just becomes your worship. That I'm doing this because this is just who I am. I'm a Christian who loves God and I want to serve God. 
And I want to do it great and exemplary. And when you worship that way at work and see that there is no divide from today to Tuesday, unbelievable things can take place. When your work is mindful of God, it's not going to be wasted ever. Anybody that's worked any amount of time has felt like, did I do anything? This seems like such a waste. I got some money from it, but it didn't really do much for me. But when you're mindful of God with your work, none of your work is going to be wasted. There was a young girl named Catherine who was severely disabled. And she was put into a home where they had doctors and nurses, and it was a Christian-based facility. And Catherine couldn't do nothing but stare at the wall. She couldn't talk. She just kind of stared at the wall all day. She couldn't feed herself. She couldn't move her arms. She couldn't move her legs. And for 20 years, these nurses would come in. These doctors would come in. Eventually, they had to amputate one of her arms. She just laid there and laid there. And they worked with her, and they worked, and they put all their expertise, all their things that they learned at school, all their energy, all their work into Catherine. And nothing changed for 20 years. And then one day, they found out that Catherine was dying. The nurse called in the doctor, and one of the doctors said, Come in. Come in here. And she was... She was dying hours away from death. And they walked in. And Catherine was singing these hymns that the nurses and the doctors for 20 years would sing to her as they took care of her. Not knowing at all if any of the things that they said ever mattered. But they were kind and they were gentle and they did their work with great care. And to a girl that they thought nobody knew nothing, couldn't understand a thing, they just talked to her like a real person and they sang songs to her. And in the last hours of her life, she starts to sing these songs and speaks for the first time. Because your work matters. No work is going to be wasted. Imagine what it would be like if all of Cornerstone as workers, had that kind of focus and that kind of perseverance as we worked our jobs for the furtherance of the kingdom, in productivity, and when opportunities came, sharing the gospel. This is a short period of time of our lives. Fifty years, and it's gone, and eternity is coming. We will graduate. Big graduation season. And last week, there was a boy named Micah McCade who's got cerebral palsy. And he never walked in public. He graduated from his high school in Okamogee, Oklahoma. And nobody knew this. His parents didn't know this. His classmates didn't know it. But it was his dream to walk across the platform and receive his diploma. And he worked at it for months and for months. And he had a physical therapist who worked with him for months and months. And they have a video of Michael coming up to the stage and his physical therapist reaches down in her professional way, picks him up, and he walks across the stage and receives his diploma. And the announcer says at the end of it, Ladies and gentlemen, I have been doing this a long time, and that was the best ever. 
And you know why that was good and spiritual? It's because that took work to do. And God designed that work. And he gave that physical therapist the desire to help a young boy who couldn't walk, walk. And for months, when it seemed like it's never going to happen, he worked and he worked and he worked and he graduated by walking across the stage. And it was well done and good, which is what First Peter says. We are supposed to do these things so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When you walk across the graduation... In eternity, all of life is spiritual. Your work matters, your work mindset matters, and your hope to be able to do that is living in and through the work of Jesus Christ for you. And as you do that faithfully, as you focus on Jesus, when your work is done, you will be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. And that should be the desire of every Christian at Cornerstone. And imagine... Imagine how the Route 34 quarter would be transformed if we worked at our jobs with that mindset.